Hello, all you clumsy, incoherent pastiches of really tortured private detective cliches. You're listening to the Dare Daniel Podcast, where you send us your most sinister movie dares, and we suffer the consequences for your amusement. I'm Corky McDonald, local comedian, and that's the sort and skinny of it. With me, as always, is film critic Daniel Hubarns. Hi, everybody. On this show, we do your dirty work, you dirty, dirty dogs, you, by watching the most unwatchable movies you can imagine. And then we review and rate them using our unique system. Here's the system. Run-of-the-mill, everyday, average, yeoman's effort of a bad film. We'll give that a dare. Double dare rating is for the truly atrocious movies. And we reserve the reverse dare, the hallowed, worldwide, respected, renowned, encyclopedia, Pedia Brown Junior Detective of the Year award winning <laughs> reverse dare for those despised movies that are actually pretty good. Today on the podcast, we're closing out the book on Travolta Ember with a review of John Travolta and Morgan Freeman in 2019 straight to streaming The Poison Rose. But before we get started, we're going to talk about the movie-themed cocktail that Daniel made for us this week. Well, as Corky said, this week's film is The Poison Rose. And although at one point in the movie, two characters drink what appears to be poison rosé, wordplay, uh, the drink of choice for our alcoholic protagonist in the film is bourbon. However, we've done a lot of whiskey cocktails, so I thought instead, let's play off the title The Poison Rose mm-hmm. and do a very heavily floral cocktail, one that I call The Antidote. It's an antidote to the poison rose. So I started by making a variation on the Corpse Reviver number two cocktail. Uh, that's a pre-prohibition cocktail, equal parts gin, Cointreau, Lillet Blanc, lemon juice, and a little bit of absinthe. For my take, I re- really wanted to push up those flowery qualities, so I used a very floral gin from New Alchemy in Auburn, here in California. I subbed the Cointreau, which is an orange liqueur for St. Germain, which is an elderflower liqueur. And instead of absinthe, I added a few dashes of very flowery bitters, couple drops of orange flower water, and a small amount of cinnamon syrup just to tie the room together. Corky, you sucked down a couple of these antidotes. Yeah. You don't, you don't give a shit what poison you've ingested. <laughs> this, Dan, <laughs> what stupid movie you're watching. <laughs> I've spent several years building up an immunity to Iocane powder. <laughs> this drink is my Iocane powder. You know what? This is honestly, I'll, I'll just, I'm going to shoot you straight here. I actually resent you for this one. I, oh, I'm, good. I'm I'm actually bitter against you, Dan, because this fucking drink is so goddamn good. <laughs> but I have to sit through this tortuous, dumbass <laughs> shit house movie to get this drink. Why yeah. don't we just do drinks? Fuck these dumbass movies. Oh, let's man. do the drinks. I hear you. I hear you. But the people they love the torture. I, they love it. I haven't said it in in a while, but I mean it. This is my favorite of these drinks. This I'm drink. I'm getting. I'm buying these. I'm getting more of these. Love Whatever it. Whatever you want to do, Dan. Just make me gallons of this stuff. Fantastic. And of course, as always, I will put the recipe in the post for the show so you can make it at home. Corky. Yeah. Dares. Mm-hmm. Our listeners have them. We need them. If we don't get them, we die. I can't put it any more plain than that. I've tried to explain this in scientific terms. I've tried to explain it in philosophical terms. We're dying. Let me let me do it, Dan. Uh, as, a, yeah. as a parent, <laughs> yeah. let me explain to Give you. Give it a shot. When a mommy darer <laughs> and a daddy dare-taking podcast get together and love each other very much... They need those dares to create episodes. That's what happens. So all you mommy darers out there, we're the daddies. <laughs> we need take- mommy dares. <laughs> we need mommy dares. <laughs> oh boy! So yes. I think I think that birds and the bees talk is going to really let. Hopefully us sink that lands. Yeah. Hopefully it connects because there's some something's not connecting. Here. We're going to have to give back those Encyclopedia Brown awards if <laughs> if it doesn't. <laughs> And speaking of people who love each other very much, this week's dare comes mm. to us from my lovely wife, Darcy, who we just celebrated our 13th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Congratulations to yes. us. Yeah, thank you. What new torture does my wife have for us? She has the Princess Switch and the sequel, the Princess Switch, colon, switched again. <laughs> the first one came out in 2018. The second in 2020. There's actually a new one it might actually be out by the time uh, this episode comes out. Uh, it comes out in mid-November on Netflix. They're all Netflix movies. They're all directed by Mike Roll. 
They all star Vanessa Hudgens in multiple roles. It's kind of a Prince of the Popper okay. style. Um, you got scenario. the Hudge. You got the Hudge doing several roles, huh? She's hudging. She's switching. These princesses, they cannot stop with the switching. <laughs> Try and stop the princesses from switching. You will fail. Uh, why, my lovely wife, do you have these princesses constantly at the switching? Uh, she says, it's the most wonderful time of the year. The holidays are upon us with Scare Daniel and Travolta Embers, so that can only mean it's time to watch a really bad Christmas movie or two. So I'm giving you a gift you can open early. The Princess Switch starring Vanessa Hudgens, but wait, what's that in your stocking over there? The Princess Switch colon switched again. You both must have been very good this year. Happy holidays. Aww. IMDb synopsis. I'm just going to read the Princess Switch synopsis. Competing in a Christmas baking competition in Belgravia. As you do. Sure. Christmas in Belgravia. It's beautiful. Uh, a Chicago- Christmas baking competition in Belgravia? <laughs> Even better. Why not? A Chicago baker bumps into the princess's fiance who looks just like her. They switch lives for two days. So yeah, like I say, it's yeah. it's your basic princess and the popper kind of a thing. It's, it's Haley Mills would have been in this thing like 50 years ago, but now it's Vanessa Hudgens and it's on Netflix and they just they they are cranking them the fuck out. I've often said V Hudge is the modern day Haley Mills. Uh, well, and here's proof. Yeah. Here's here's some uh, Belgravia made pudding and the proof is right in there. <laughs> Thank you, Darcy. <laughs> Thank you so much. And now, our feature presentation. The Poison Rose. IMDb synopsis for The Poison Rose. Inspired by classic film noir, Carson Phillips, an ex-football star turned P.I., has a soft spot for a lady in distress. Yes, The Poison Rose. The poison that required a high-alcohol antidote in order to get through it. Movie is directed by George Gallo. He's best known for writing the script for Midnight What? Run. Yeah. Stars our man of the month, John Travolta, as well as Morgan Freeman, Famke Johnson, Brendan Fraser, and many other familiar faces from the mid to late 90s. Uh, it's set in Los Angeles and Galveston, Texas, but it was filmed almost entirely in Savannah, Georgia, and mm-hmm. there's Savannah landmarks throughout, including the first shot of the movie. Zero on Rotten Tomatoes, only nine reviews, 26 on Metacritic. It was not released theatrically in America, went straight to streaming, as I said in the intro, but it did open May 23rd, 2019 in Russia and Ukraine, where I guess John Travolta can still open a movie, and where it was titled Eye for an Eye, a title that is just as dumb as The Poison Rose. I was just going to say, (laughs) neither one of those make any fucking sense. Why? Uh, it expanded to a handful of other countries, ended up grossing a little over 300000 overall. Uh, it did receive the Best Directing <laughs> International Award at the Terra di Siena Film Festival. Come on, Terra di Siena Film Festival. You're a laughing stock. Yeah. Come on. What a What kind of film festival are you? Tomris Laffley of Variety said, quote, It's just a sad, unimaginative affair in which an impressive lineup of talented names goes to waste before our eyes, end quote. Corky, from that quote, I mean, again, zero on Rotten Tomatoes. You're not fighting anybody. No. Um, and I'm sure you're not going to disagree with Tomless. Tomris, um, sad, yeah, unimaginative. I'm, I'm good with that. Um, goes to waste, sure. Impressive lineup of talented names. I guess that's my question for you, Quirky. Was this a, an impressive lineup of talented names, I mean, or was this just a lot of semi-retired people cashing paychecks? If we're going to talk about talented names, Tomris Laughley it deserves to be up there in the annals of talented names. That name is just full of talent. Tomris Laughley is my favorite role of doll character. <laughs> Uh, as a grown man named Quirky McDonald, I have, I have appreciation of fucking weird names. Love it. Uh, no, I actually, I'll, I'll agree that they are. This is an impressive lineup, circa two thousand. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Patrick, Morgan Freeman, John Travolta, Peter Stormare, Peter Stormare, Famke Johnson, yeah, uh, Ella Blue when she was seven. Uh, <laughs> so this would be an impressive lineup. Yeah, twenty one years ago, but. One thing, I don't think Morgan Freeman gets enough heat mm. for going the Robert De Niro route for oh, just cash and paychecks. I don't think he get, takes enough heat for that. 
That's, no, that's my maybe sense. just he he seems to exude a certain level of kind of class and respectability. Like he he can't get too low. But I agree. I mean the the movies speak for themselves, and they are, are quite bad. Yeah, I think what's interesting about this movie just kind of comparing it to the other Travolta movies is how completely uninteresting it is Mm -hmm. other than a few elements of the movie which we'll get to it's not mind-numbingly bad in the sense of Gotti where you feel like you've been trapped in some sort of a limbo it's not hilariously bad like speed kills it's not transcendently bad like battlefield earth it's just bad it's just boring it's pointless it's lifeless, yeah. thoroughly lifeless, and Travolta's a real dud uh, in the main role, which is kind of disappointing. Thomas Lafley really got it right with the word unimaginative. There are no surprises uh-uh. whatsoever in this movie. There are twists, there are turns, but they are so hilariously telegraphed. It is absolutely fucking pathetic. Like, it moves along well enough. Like, there's a lot of story here. It keeps, you know, introducing Uh new characters and new elements, but it's just so dull. It's so pointless and unimaginative. No energy, no flavor, no nothing, and no even understanding of, like, it's set in the late 1970s. Oh. Why? Why? Why, yeah. why? Why is it set in the late 70s? And and it makes no attempt to actually be true to that era, except for no. a couple people's clothes. Yeah. Um, the, it, unimaginative, but also incomprehensible. It, yeah. The, the plot really doesn't unfold in, in a satisfying way. And not to go, I mean, yes, it's not as good as Chinatown, okay? <laughs> Granted. But- sure. I love Chinatown and and I love noirs. And mm. the thing about noirs is they don't sledgehammer every point to you. They don't telegraph way ahead. This movie does that. It yeah. has to tell you this is bad guy. The, the the beauty of noirs is that and it's a muddy world where everybody's a little bit bad, a little bit good. Absolutely. It is painfully obvious. Like you could just watch the first 15 minutes of this. Really the first scene where he goes to the casino. And you've got everything. Like, yeah. th- there's not going to be any more twists. Like, there are twists, but they've all been set up in the scene like so, so badly. And then the movie adds even more twists uh, or more explanation in in ADR. There's this whole scene with Morgan Freeman where he puts a book up to his face, and very quickly they get him to say the line, "I want oil." <laughs> like, it's just like, no, we got that. Like, we got that. I got that. The scene where you asked her for all the oil. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. That made sense to, the first time. You oh, didn't need that. Yeah, if you're if you're unclear about any motivations or any of Travolta's past, don't worry. Every character will bring it up to him in, in his song. <laughs> <laughs> so true. I think the two elements to me that are are way the fuck out there that are like kind of crazily bad. Well, first of all, we talk a lot about the age. Yes. Of Travolta, and it, this isn't like in Speed Kills or Gotti, where he has to age like thirty years. And we always talked about how he acts like he needs all the makeup for the old age scenes. <laughs> yeah, like he just cakes it on. He's just like like he's Billy Crystal in The Princess Bride or something yeah. like that. Um, in this movie, no, it just takes place over the course of a couple of weeks or so. But he's playing way young. Like way. he goes back to his hometown and connects with all of his college buddies who have a variance of like 20 years yes. between their age. Like what fucking class is this that they all had together? Like, is this Greendale community college? What the fuck? He is simultaneously supposed to be ex teammates with Brendan Fraser. <laughs> Brendan Fraser who's like 15 years younger than Travolta in real life, but also had the same college football coach as a kid who's 22. <laughs> So good. Oh, and then the other element you brought it up, Brendan Fraser, in a in a film wow. of no one's going for anything. Wow, like people are underplaying it so or or non playing it. Brendan Fraser goes for it in in all the wrong ways. He is doing a mincing, uh, bent wrist, gay caricature that is it's appalling. It's yeah. genuinely appalling. It was like Truman Capote. Mixed with like uh, Stephen Root in a Coen Brothers movies, it, it was just I was like, you can't be serious. I can't take you serious at all in this. No, not at all. And it, I mean, he's he has some really insanely bad moments. He's not in the movie that much. Travolta's no. in just about every scene, but um, boy, Brendan, 
wild, wild stuff. And it's kind of shocking to see him now because he hasn't been in movies for a long time, mm-hmm. and now here he is again. And he's quite he's quite large. Yeah, he's he's put on some pounds. Um, he was in the Soderbergh movie that was on HBO earlier this year, No Sudden Move, which is pretty good. And yeah. he was fine. He was fine. I thought he was totally solid. But this is like, whoa, <laughs> somebody like direct this man, please. Like, what is happening? Like, he took all the choices Travolta left on the floor. It was like, yeah. Travolta's like, you know what? I'm not making any choices this time. Yeah. And, and he's a I'll Brendan- just like <laughs> whisper some coach- some choices in your ear. <laughs> When he holds that choice whisper, when he holds that gun at the end, and it looks like he can barely lift the gun up straight, it's just so bad. It's wild. It really is wild. It's unbelievable. All right, Quirky, let's get into it. The Poison Rose. So we've talked in a few recent episodes (laughs) about how much it sucks when you're watching a really terrible movie, like the ones we generally watch on this show. Old fashioned, you remember the, he compares himself to Meet John Doe, moment by moment. Uh, Lily Tomlin's watching My Man Godfrey, and it just reminds you. You know what? I could be watching that. There's, there's we so li- much. There's an art we form live in that the I streaming love. Era. Yeah, we live in the era of on demand movies. Anytime, I could just pop it in right now. Yeah, so we get in this movie. Wow, they really take it to the next level. First shot of the movie is a theater with a marquee. And they're playing the Maltese Falcon. This is a private investigator movie. And the first thing we're reminded of is the best private yes. investigator movie ever fucking made. <laughs> like, do you think you set the bar a little high? Do you think you did that? It's like, if imagine if Cosmic Sin opened with scenes from 2001, A Space Odyssey. Like, the first shot of Cosmic Sin was just a bunch of eight men dancing around like a black monolith or something. He's like, remember? Remember this? You can watch this. You're going to watch this shit instead. Like, if Heartbeeps opened with Metropolis, it would just be like, (laughs) go do anything but this movie. Why? Why are you doing this? All right. So, it's Los Angeles, 1978. I mean, it's Savannah, 2019. Why? This is is apparently like a a big uh, old theater in Savannah. But yeah, why is it 1978? Yeah. To do a hard-boiled noir thing? That's associated with 1978? I mean, why not just take it back to 45 or something like that? You know? I mean... And the cliches, Quirky, Mm -hmm. they, they really kick right in travolta is doing this texas accent and of course he's got to narrate it because he's the hard-boiled detective and he says my name is carson phillips i'm a pi i like to smoke i like to drink i like to gamble so there you go yeah he's just said it all like yeah sam spade couldn't have said it any better himself unless he said anything i always imagine like these narrations like is it so is it like a forrest gump is he sitting on a park bench just <laughs> telling somebody <laughs> is this a police interrogation for the bodies that he dropped in another state you know i mean what is this? yes exactly so he has he, he is made up to look kind of young but also like a disheveled alcoholic detective he's got kind of blondish sandy blondish hair of and, of of a series of bad travolta wigs that we've seen this is the worst this is by really, far this is worse than battlestar battlefield earth it's really bad and he has this like three-day stubble that over the course of this movie which seems to take place eh, two two weeks or something like sure. that you know maybe a week or two the stubble does not grow. No. And never gets shaved. <laughs> like, what manner of sorcery is this? That's not how beards work. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same. It doesn't get any more or less. They were like, we're not changing your makeup. We're not doing that, John. Hard boiled PIs, they're just born that way. Like, there's no actual <laughs> puberty process for them. They're just born with three day stubble and it never grows, never goes away. We get some more narration and. We find out that he's lived in Los Angeles. He has a Texas accent, but he's lived in Los Angeles for 20 years, which apparently is long enough to have picked up every single hard-boiled L.A. cliche you can imagine. Like his first, after this escape, his first line is like, well, whoever called this the city of angels, you know, like, oh my God, yeah, I get it. I get it. It's not a city of angels. I get it. Right. <laughs> he says Hollywood glitz and glamour. He mentions the Santa Ana winds. Yes. And says that's entertainment as we get an aerial shot of the Hollywood sign. It's just unbelievable. I was I was so elated he didn't call it Holly Weird because it, <laughs> it was just that close. But the, it sets the stage for the complete lack 
of surprises and really the complete lack of imagination, as we said in the intro. So Carson, after this pointless fucking narration, he goes to his office, Sam Spade style, and there is your big-breasted femme fatale type who is going to hire him for a case. Hilariously, first thing she says is that she's surprised he's not older. <laughs> like, they really had to slip that in right away. <laughs> You're younger than we all think. <laughs> right? Like, nope. <laughs> not getting that. Um, so this woman wants to hire him for a job. She wants him to find her mother, who is at a nursing home in Galveston, which is his hometown. Can't reach her. The nursing home's giving her the runaround. She's like, where's my mom? I mean, take a trip to Galveston, there's a possibility, but she's saying, no, I'm going to hire you to go to Galveston, and you find my mom. Um, and he's like, no, Galveston, not into Galveston, that's my old stomping grounds. I have history in Galveston, you get it, right? And she says, name your price, and he's like, oh shit, got to do it, because he's desperate. Because he's, he's desperate, desperate for dough, thing. right? Yeah. So if this was Father's Day, <laughs> she would have hired an ex-lover who is now a playwright. <laughs> And a next lover who works in a something factory, uh, <laughs> making business deals. But no, she actually goes the PI route and hires a PI. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Okay, so this is where we have just the most unimaginative rehash of these cliches. He drives from LA to Galveston. All these shots of him driving through the desert in this nice convertible, and there's poker chips like floating over him as he's driving. <laughs> there's stock footage of cowboys at a rodeo. And that's just to remind you that Texas is where cowboys are come, come from, and he's got gambling problems. The thing that I thought was most amazing, which is similar to this three-day beard stubble that doesn't grow away, mm-hmm. he drives from L.A. to Galveston, seemingly straight, in a convertible. He is not dusty, not dirty. The car is pristine when he arrives there, and he's wearing the same fucking clothes. <laughs> My favorite part of this really awful montage scene is he just out of nowhere mentions like, yeah, lots changed since I've been to Galveston. The Beatles broke up, Vietnam War. I'm like, and they show like stock footage of the Beatles of the Vietnam War. You're like, why? <laughs> why is that happening? It's so hacky. It's just the most hacky fucking thing. But yeah, he talks a little. He's got a checkered past in Galveston. He's left some things behind there, some unfinished business. He's an ex-football star. So that's kind of established there. It's Texas, by golly. They love their football. So he arrives and just immediately gets to work. Boom. Just arrives on the scene, goes to the Pleasant Meadows nursing home. He's not a very good private investigator, but you don't have to be a good private investigator to know that something is amiss. Everyone has taken Mm -hmm. suspicious pills at this place. They are acting so suspicious. He goes to the nurse. She's like, duh, 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 Barbara Van Poole. Who's that? Duh, 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 duh. Let me get the doctor. But boy, her suspiciousness is no match for the doctor, who is played by Brendan Fraser, who again is doing this just it's indescribable without offending people all right but suffice to say hank azaria in the birdcage is looking at this guy like hey tone it down okay that's offensive you've gone too far that is a caricature (laughs) there is this bit he's straight to camera and he's trying to stay composed because he has his back to carson and he pulls out this like filthy ass comb yeah and just slowly 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 takes it out puts it on his head and just wipe yep and then back into the pocket slowly 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 well he just has like greasy hair and just looks really disgusting oh my god it's it's unbelievable and then if that's not unbelievable enough he turns around and is like oh my god my old college football teammate <laughs> carson like how how these men are how? 67 and 52 at the time of this filming <laughs> oh my god unbelievable but yeah, Carson's there. He's looking for Barbara Van Poole. This is the missing mother of the woman who hired him back in L.A. The doctor, Brendan Fraser, he deflects. Kind of, oh, I don't know. Oh, Barbara Van Poole, no, she needs rest. Oh, she's got therapy. No, we like to let her rest. But it's, I mean, he's just, he's so suspicious. It's yeah, obviously something's right. wrong. Uh, Travolta mentions that he's basically been given a tug on the old short hairs. 
So there's that. <laughs> um, and, you know, he's like, you want to check in your fucking hotel? And no, he's still going right to work. So he goes to Roses. He goes straight from the nursing home to Roses, which is a casino nightclub run by Doc. Yeah. This is his uh, Morgan Freeman. And ostensibly owned by his daughter, Rose. But really, it's run by Doc. We get the impression right away. Doc runs this town. Yeah. You know, everyone's, he's got a finger in everything. Um, and that is borne out through the entire movie. So yeah, no no twists or surprises. And this is there, where, like, I'm like, this is 1978, huh? Because this song that she sings sounds like Ciara. It sounds like yeah. something from 2003. Yeah. There- and this, uh, I can't remember her name, Cat Graham, I think, but she really is like a pop star. Yeah. Oh, okay. Actress. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, it does not sound 1970s-ish uh-uh. at all. No. No, no. And no one's really dressing in any kind of noticeably uh-uh. 70s there's like style. One there's a real shirt. melange of, of there's a melange of styles in here because Peter so he goes to this casino and all his old buddies. It is the most eclectic poker table <laughs> of all fucking time. The, the Star Wars Cantina was not this eclectic with characters. <laughs> All his friends are there at the table, which is great because that Carson could tell us oh, how they all are in narration. This is the this of all the movies we are. This is the most everyone's where they need to be. Oh, for the scene movie of all time. Absolutely. So yeah, Doc is the man in the suit. He's running everything. Robert Patrick is the police chief. Peter Stormare is some kind of hippie cowboy. Uh huh. Sure. And there's just a random like uh, Latino. In like a Scarface, Lorenzo, uh, yes, uh, Lorenzo. Um, and who the hell am I leaving out? Am I leaving somebody out? Here? Uh, no, Stormare, Fr- Freeman, Patrick. You got them all. There you go. So they're all like, "Oh, hey, boom, come on, deal them in." And so they 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 get dealt in. Um, as I mentioned, Carson was an ex football star, um, and the new hotshot football star is named Happy. Mm-hmm. And of course, Happy. What do you think Happy does? Like the second he sees Carson, just taunts him for no reason. Calls him old man. Tells him I'm breaking all your records. Happy is the football star in Galveston, Texas, who like it's made patently clear everybody worships college football there. Yes. Does Happy wear his Letterman jacket around town <laughs> just to let, remind people that he's happy, the college football star? <laughs> necessary <laughs> necessary he's a huge star oh uh, and we he's also got his fun- helmet on yeah right <laughs> carson uh, part of the reason that he has been kind of uh has a, a checkered pass in this town we find out he shaved points when he yeah. was in college and that doc probably had something to do with it the most clumsy fucking exposition really Ugh. really this movie's just so badly written yeah um, same f- midnight run. <laughs> same five extras in every shot in this casino. They were really <laughs> totally. working to fill this place out. Totally. Uh, we cut outside briefly to a woman in a car. Um, she's outside the casino. She's in her car. She's drinking. We see she's got a gun on her seat. And Crying. this is Becky, um, played by Travolta's daughter, Ella Blue Travolta. Sad to say. She gives a real Sofia Coppola in the Godfather Part Three kind of performance. It, it's she's she's hopelessly overmatched. I was watching her here. I was like, all right, she's all right. She, I, I'm believing it. But then this, once the dialogue starts, and especially with that Texas accent, it's like, nope, nope. It's brutal. Yeah, Sofia Coppola is a good comparison. It was like, like her, you could tell her father just kept being like, speak up, honey, speak up. <laughs> no, it's okay. Don't speak up. A little louder. You know, the microphones can't hear you. You know, he's trying to encourage her. It's like, you're not right for this. You just aren't. Yeah, like this, I mean, this movie is so pointless, but maybe this was the point of the movie, was sure. just to, to give his daughter a fucking prime movie role. Right. You know, it's 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 not a big role, but it's definitely a key role. Yeah. So, I don't know. Real uh, Judd Apatow move by there. To, to. Um, so the hotshot quarterback, of course, he's a hotshot, but he's a hothead. Mm. So he starts a fight. For no reason. He yells about how he's going to be drafted really high. It's like, again, clumsy, clumsy exercise. Football. He's running Football. He's running football plays. good. <laughs> We're going to run an spider Y2 banana on this. <laughs> so there's a fight going on. Uh, Doc shoots a gun in the air. He breaks it up. He sends the kid home. Uh, we also find out Happy is dating the daughter of Carson's ex-girlfriend. 
uh, we later find out it's Becky in the car. But I mean, honestly, if you can't figure that out on your own, they're, you're just they're married. Dishwater. They're yeah, not just they're married. Yeah, but he, married. but he's actually dating Rose, uh, right. who is Doc's daughter. Yeah. So so she's in the car. She's been drinking. She's got the gun. She's crying. She's thinking, no, oh, uh, you know, I'm gonna do something here, but she can't do it. She can't do it. She backs down. So Carson finally goes back to his hotel, at which point the henchmen who were trailing him in the opening scenes back in Los Angeles track him down at his hotel, and they tell him that Mr. Gregory wants to see him. So Mr. Gregory, we get a little idea of what this thing was, is that Mr. Gregory's daughter, he, Mr. Gregory, hired, who's some sort of hotshot, hired Carson to find his daughter, track her down, Carson brought her back, but the daughter gave him the slip, gave him a story, because Carson is a sucker for a beautiful woman with a sob story. Yeah. Boy, this Mr. Gregory bit, I mean, it's cut this whole fucking thing out of the movie. Why is it even in the damn movie? Just to give it some kind of like, some, some kind of like ticking clock or some kind of tension or something. But it just yeah. abandons it a uh, third Completely. of the way through. Completely. So yeah, he tells Mr. Gregory, get out of here. So now go back to the hospital. I love this part. And Dr. Encino Man uh, turns Carson away once again. Once it, hey, no, can't see her. This hospital is, it's very obviously a front. Yes. It's kind of obvious to the naked eye as soon as you walk in there that it's a front. Well, as soon as you step on the ground, so you can tell that. Carson sneaks in. He does, it's very easy for him to do this. <laughs> this place, you he find out they're in a doorway. They just, are murdering people. It's a method. They are manufacturing methamphetamine. It's just like, uh, you know, should we lock this door? Nah. It's so funny. So Carson stows out in the hospital till after hours, then sneaks into the doctor's office to snoop, right? And he goes to a uh, filing cabinet that just has patient files put on there like, the, like every doctor's office. He starts rummaging through, and he's pulling out like these bills, right? And it's a stamp paid on it. It looks like something you would find at Fisherman's Wharf, like yeah. that, a fake newsletter or something like right. that. It's so clumsy. It really is. And you can see it very quick. It's a quick shot, but looking at the patient files, they're not organized in uh-uh. any way. There's no alphabetization or anything. You're just like, what's your fucking system? So to me, either that's a dead giveaway that it's a front or it's just really, really sloppy by the director. And I'm going to go with the latter. Yes, I'm going with the latter. So he finds Barbara Van Poole's file. This is the missing woman that he's trying to find. And the file is empty, but he also sees that the doctor, Brendan Fraser, is taking bets and he's taking bets on the home team, the Galveston college team, to lose. What? Um, at which point, Travolta does the thing that, you know, that's oh, a PI movie. So I'm going to take out a little camera and I'm going to snap some pictures of all these things. Who the fuck is he taking these pictures for? That's true. <laughs> what is he doing with these? He's like, you know what? I actually just like the way the sun's hitting these. <laughs> like, this is, hang on. I'm going to put a flower in the foreground. <laughs> Like, this is 78. It's 40 years before people snap pictures of random <laughs> shit to post. So now we go. It's a big night. College football. Are you ready for football? Happy is playing real poorly. We can hear this over the radio. Um, and he takes a bad hit. And then we cut to the stadium and we see him carted off. But something weird comes out of his mouth. It's so obviously f- there was foul play. So fucking, they hear over the radio, wherever mm-hmm. Travolta's motel is, he hears over the radio, Happy's thrown three interceptions and oh no, he just went down on a bad hit. <laughs> Pulls up right to the stadium just to yes. catch him getting wheeled into the ambulance. Good timing. <laughs> he made it there fucking flying. Right place, <laughs> right time, right moment. And then we find out, Later on, we find out Happy has a broken collarbone and a mm-hmm. fucking femur. A broken femur. That's like car <laughs> that accident a, level. It's a hell of a hit. <laughs> That's your big bone in that your thigh. Lawrence Taylor couldn't make a hit like that. <laughs> and what? How did you get your collarbone and your femur broke on the same hit? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. But Carson, he suspects foul play. Ah. Great, great detective work, buddy. So he goes to see his ex-girlfriend, Janie, and she is played by Famke Johnson, who really does look quite young. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, it's plastic surgery, She's, but it's good work. Sure. Uh, fine, fine work. I should also mention we're in Texas noir territory now, not California noir. So 
the rain-soaked horn music that we got earlier, that kind of that kind of moaning, you know, horn music is now reverb guitar slashes. Sure. <laughs> Noir. <laughs> Um, she's rich because she lives on just a giant estate. Well, she's a rich widow now. Her husband died recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says, uh, while they're kind of talking, she says that Happy was running around with that slut, Rose. You know, Rose uh, Rose is not a very important character in this movie. Uh-uh. You would think it's the Poison Rose, but it, it's, no, not really. Um Janie also lets slip that she was at Pleasant Meadows for a while. She met Barbara Van Poole. And she kind of, she hires him, I guess, to get, just to get information. Nothing is clear. Nothing no. makes, nothing is clear. Nothing. It's It's got the motions of a hard-boiled detective movie, but it doesn't really add up. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Later, it, it's how this information comes out is weird, but later we find out, we don't find it out in this scene, but we find out Becky is a suspect for some reason, even before toxicology reports again. Again, he broke a collarbone and a femur on the same play. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the wife is in on this. <laughs> They're just like, it was the wife. The like, wife what? of the wealthiest woman in town. Or they, the daughter well, of the wealthiest woman in there's town. There's a whole stadium full of people who could tell you how the fuck this dude died. But yes, uh, so uh, anyway, this scene is just uh, weird. So he's been hired to do something get information just you know find out what you can find out about about happy stuff does this movie have a scene where he threatens a mime with a gun well why yes it does uh quirky i'm really glad you asked (laughs) yes we find out through voiceover his original client is now mia the woman who hired him back in la can't find her hmm he goes to see the coroner who has been dodging him. And while he's talking to the coroner, I was like, this this mime will be important, this, right? Because they keep giving close-ups to the mime. No, it's just one of those, like, we all hate mimes. This matters, right? This right. somehow no. matters. The mime's hanging out, and he's just like, get the hell out of here, mime. Pulls a gut on him, and the mime's like, uh, that's it. <laughs> that cut on mime. <laughs> yeah, no more mimes. See ya, mime. Um, so now Janie... Janie goes to see Doc, who again is Morgan Freeman. This um, this is like he's like a bookie turned kingpin sure. somehow. I mean, you thought her house was nice. He is just walking around on like plantations and shit. Yeah, he, at literally. one point they go they go on onto his lawn, and there are just like vintage automobiles just like strewn around in a, like a random place. His tea set just... is all color coordinated. It's like <laughs> the man drips opulence. Yes. So they he offers him her some rosé, um, not poison rosé. This is where we find out that the daughter is the number one suspect in in the death that, for all anyone knows right now, was a football related accident. Mm-hmm. Like, how does huh? It's so sloppy. How it does this? Doc also mentions something about toxicity reports that he kept under wraps. So there's some kind of history there um, with Doc and Janie as well. And he basically wants her to call off Carson and he'll keep whatever is happening quiet and he'll take a partnership stake in her wealth, which we later find out is based on oil. Black gold, Texas tea. So Peter Stormare, you remember him? All he wanted is some pancake. <laughs> I want pancake. Where's uh, Pancake's house? He's 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 at a bar. So he's like again, he's like a hippie cowboy. He's he's very Peter Stormare. She's doing all sorts of character bits. He sings a song. It's just like it comes on the soundtrack at first, and you're like, holy shit, is Peter Stormare singing? And then it goes, and he's actually the character is in the bar, just like singing. And it sounds exactly like you would expect a Peter Stormare cowboy song to sound. Really weird. Uh, and Lorenzo uh, from the poker game this was the Scarface guy from the poker game we find out he's a drug dealer Mm -hmm. and there's something about tainted speed Doc kind of um, compels Carson to come out to his opulent mansion and basically says hey you know I'll I'll solve this Barbara Van Poole bullshit for you if you just get the hell out of town I don't want you snooping around you messing with my business you gotta go and so he tells Carson, Barbara Van Poole is dead and, quote, not the only one. So I know Doc 
Doc in this is supposed to, he's the puppet master. Yeah. He's pulling the strings behind the scenes, not getting his hands dirty. No matter, he, he, he says multiple, he says, when the first time we meet him, I never lose. Yes. Right? Obviously, I'm fixing all of this bullshit. Also, I'm a bookie. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's so obvious. He says it multiple times throughout this movie. His plan, it's it's nonsense. It's nonsense. <laughs> like, why? If you want Carson to leave town, don't tell her she's not the only one. Tell him she's the only one. <laughs> like, and that's, and that's it. We're done. He offers forged documents. He offers whatever he needs to placate his client, but Carson refuses. He says he doesn't want to screw over Janie again, but also his client is gone. Sure. And probably didn't exist in the first place. So uh, Doc's henchmen drop him. This is funny. This is, again, I don't understand what the hell's going on here. They seemingly drop him in a random part of town. He says they dropped him, like, in the ghetto, right? In the bad They dropped him in some shitty part of town just to just to fix of... him. But somehow, <laughs> the fucking money guys, Mr. Gregory's guys from L.A., know that that's where they're going to drop him <laughs> off. right there. And they have it all stoked out, staked out, because people are coming at him from all sides. There's the Joker There's... steps. The Joker yes. staircase is right there. The famous Savannah, Georgia Joker steps. <laughs> <laughs> and there's this big shootout on the steps, and it's just, it's really poorly staged. I called and, this the gunfight at the No Way Corral because <laughs> he they have the drop on him with several gunmen, and he just ambushes. He takes them out. And you can't tell how. Like, yeah, how? He, Editing. He has 100 bullets in his gun. <laughs> So we go back to Doc. This is where they have this ADR scene where Doc is is given the orders to Robert Patrick, who is the police chief, right? Yeah, so right. Doc Doc owns everybody. Doc owns police. Doc owns uh, this whole drugs. He controls the drugs. Doc well, controls everything. Well, or does he? Yeah. I I, huh? What? Maybe? I don't know. Because Doc really, really seems to really be fine with giving up that revenue stream of the biggest <laughs> meth foundation in... <laughs> But this is a scene where, like, basically the scene is over. Morgan Freeman lifts a book up to his face. <laughs> and then we hear in, like, a different tone and cadence all of a sudden, I want every drop of that oil. Like, he says it really quick because they didn't have a lot of book time. But it was obvious they were like, it's not clear that he wants the oil. How the fuck can that not be clear? That's the only thing that's clear. So did they did they make him go back and reshoot a book, the thing? And they were like, we'll just figure out what, it, what his motivation is. I think they were, like, bookend this scene with, like, yeah, putting it up, putting it up. And then we'll figure out the line uh, later if we need it, you know. Real probably uh, cover DeAndre in uh, Kirk Cameron Saving Christmas. <laughs> so the cop... Again, knows exactly where he's going to go eat breakfast. Goes yeah. in, in corners um, at the, the Pancake's house. Yeah, Robert Patrick is... He's squeezing Carson. He's squeezing Carson and Janie, I guess. He says that Becky was seen at the casino with a gun. By who? <laughs> By who? Yeah, we saw that. She's scene. in her car across We're the street. Like I watched that scene. She Nobody never raised was like, the gun. <laughs> no, she never got out she of the car. She chickened out before she got out. The gun was on the seat the whole time. How, you would need to be like peering in the window with your hands over your <laughs> oh, eyes. Oh, hey, like, Becky, what are you doing? Hey, Just Bex, drinking with that? a gun and crying outside this casino, huh? Is that an open bottle of Jack and a loaded gun? <laughs> you know your husband's in there with another woman. Okay, we'll see. Ya. <laughs> Oh, and we now get, he goes uh, back over to Janie's and we get the first scene between Travolta and his daughter. Um, but one of my favorite. Even though he's been protecting her this entire time. It's, you know. My favorite line before that, the sheriff who is threatened and squeezing him at the diner tells him that he can either make the killing of those men in the at the Joker staircase uh, right. self-defense or he can rot in jail because he says, this is Texas after all. <laughs> A, a fucking small town crooked Texas sheriff <laughs> wouldn't talk like that. An L.A. screenwriter who needs yes. to remind you about that he's a crooked small town Texas sheriff talks like that. We're in Texas, remember? Yes, yeah, right. Like, it's not usually a thing you need to remind people. No. So Janie is now going to reveal a little bit. She's kind of like, you want to see where I get my money? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let's go out. We're out at the oil wells Yes, now. right. And it's this whole thing about the oil wells were poisoning the town. They were giving people cancer. And Doc kind of helped protect her husband and, and save the money and keep it all kind of quiet. 
This is also where Janie tells him that, oh my God, Becky is Carson's daughter. And they kiss. And Carson says in a voiceover, this trip is full of surprises. I was like, no, nope. I could have told you that first time I saw her. I could have told you that before I saw her when somebody just mentioned her. The second we knew you had a pass with that woman who now has a daughter about the age of when you left town. Yeah. I knew that was your daughter. Wait, no, hold on. He left town 20 years ago. That girl is yeah. 22 at least, right? right? <laughs> she had her for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we get a call from the coroner. Coroner says amphetamines, steroids, and some sort of a cancer medication. Huh? This is, and yeah, he goes, you can't get that over the counter. No, you can't. No. Not like amphetamines and steroids. What <laughs> what CVS are you shopping at? This though, the, the kudos the one good part for these the filmmakers. They found the last payphone in Texas to shoot at. <laughs> but the coroner is looking over his shoulder both ways while he's telling them this stuff. Like, who the fuck is following you around? Who's you, who's got a gun trained on you? <laughs> So Becky, Becky now comes to visit Carson at his hotel room. She knows. She yeah. says she figured it out because her mother looked at him in a way she never looked at her father. So dumb. And they bond in what I would call an excruciating scene over donuts. That was a 100% an improvised scene. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Poorly improvised. Oh, yes. Terribly. Quite poorly. Yeah. That was awful. <laughs> Travolta's like, we have to act like we're father and daughter. Yes. <laughs> like, I don't think we can do it. <laughs> it's too much of a stretch. <laughs> it's beyond my, my capabilities so as awful. an actor. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but who busts into the hotel room but hippie cowboy, Peter Stormare. He shows up. He's all bloody. He knows exactly where everybody is. He knows where they are. I don't remember why, why, why he was bloodied. I don't, I, really, I don't know where this fits in the story. But meanwhile, while all this is happening, the cops show up and they arrest Janie. Wait, is that right? They're they're there to arrest Becky. They're there to arrest Becky, but uh, at Janie's house. But she's there while Becky is in the yeah. hotel room, and uh, he gets the chief on the phone. Carson gets the chief on the phone, and the chief gives him twenty four hours to solve the crime <laughs> for some reason. Like, isn't this guy supposed to be like in the pocket of Doc? How does that help him get oil? This. We're like, just, this is such nonsense. Yeah. It's, like, it all goes away if you just arrest Becky and uh, she's got motive. He's placed her at the scene, all good. And she's like, all right, you got 24 hours. Like, why? He's like, just get us to the next plot twist. <laughs> you got 24 hours. He goes to Doc, tries to cut a deal. Doc reminds him, I never lose, Carson. Mm. You get that point? Carson then finds a note from Rose. Remember Rose yeah. from the club saying, meet me at the stadium. So he goes to the football stadium uh, where Carson was hurt. You can see a big sign on the stadium that says Savannah State University. Oh, Again. I didn't even catch that. It was shot at Savannah State University. And that's why it's not a very big stadium. <laughs> for, for a town that is like college football mad, it is like, it, it's practically a high school uh, stadium. But like all big college football stadiums, you can just wander in anywhere and onto the grass. As, and the lights are on. Yes, at, at nine o'clock at night. Equipment is left out. Pick up a football, <laughs> and I gotta tell you, his throwing motion has not gotten any better since moment by moment. We gotta work on those mechanics. Drew Brees is retired. He'll spend some time with you. Yeah, he goes to the stadium, thinks he's meeting Rose, but who's there? Lorenzo. Lorenzo has a big rifle. He's up there in the, like the press box. He's got a rifle with a scope on it. This guy can't hit fucking Lor- shit. This, yes. this guy has the aim of a Nazi in an Indiana Jones film. He's just <laughs> he's hitting everything but the guy. Lorenzo got fired off the Death Star. He is a he is a stormtrooper <laughs> sniper. So yeah, he's shooting. He's shooting. There's a big old shootout at the stadium between Carson, who's on the field, and Lorenzo, who's up in those kind of press box or coach's box. Yeah. Uh, and Lorenzo gets knocked out with a football <laughs> that he throws from the field, which is almost an impossible throw to to make. Almost there, certainly for a 60, 70 year old. There are two men who could make that throw. There's Warren Moon <laughs> and Uncle Rico. <laughs> He takes a football off the face like Jamal Adams. It yes. was insane, this it scene. It was great. 
I, I, this was probably the biggest laugh in the movies because right. he's just like, well, where's the gun? Looks up and then a football comes right at him from a hundred yards away. <laughs> like, this is fun, not possible. Carson. My, my is biggest like, laugh in the movie was when she reveals that his daughter, he goes, what are you telling me? <laughs> <laughs> he foghorn leghorns it. Uh, I say, I say, I say daughter. <laughs> that ain't my daughter. <laughs> So yes, Carson knocks this guy who was trying to murder him yes. with a high-powered rifle, knocks him out with a football, and is like, all right. Still got it. <laughs> Walks I am, away. I'm satisfied with this, and I will now leave. Like, doesn't this guy still want to kill you? And he'll even go to a public place and kill you? Mm-hmm. With high-powered ammo? Yeah. Also, does no one the next day notice, like, eh, coach, why are these tackling dummies filled with bullet holes? Is this an active crime scene? (laughs) That was another thing. Like, he could only hit him when he was behind something, and he was, like, dead on, right there, but he's just behind it. But otherwise... Pummeling these tackling dummies. Like, a bullet would go through a tackling dummy. They're not made of fucking lead or Kevlar. This is also, like, again, with the shootouts, where Carson just kills a bunch of people. Mm -hmm. There's a big shootout, and, like, that's it. We're good. (laughs) <laughs> nothing beyond that nothing to okay. see here so he goes back to pleasant meadows he digs up a fresh grave um and there is barbara van pool in the grave so this has taken probably six hours mm-hmm. to dig a hole a single person yeah. digging a hole it's a 67 year old man digging a hole <laughs> six hours since then um and how did he know where that grave was he just was he digging random holes until he found it's like a body? oh there's fresh there's dirt. so many fucking bodies <laughs> i know <laughs> in the most everybody's just where you need them to be moment of all moments brendan fraser not only just knows that he's going to be there digging up a body waits for him to find the hand and then skulk out of the shadow like i'm the- gonna let him dig just far enough to find it yes Yes. Not the smell. He'll just, he has to find a hand. No, you got to have a hand. We need visuals. I need my cigarette properly lit at the right moment. The gun (laughs) in my other hand. I need to be wearing my natty suit. And at the moment of confrontation, Lorenzo needs to just become running from across a field. Yeah. Because he knows he's going to be there as well. Absolutely. He's looked at all other locations. And running with a fucking high-powered rifle just across a field. It is Texas, so I'm sure that's not too uncommon. No, but yeah. But it's the most everybody's just where they need to be at the exact moment they need to be there. Remember, Corky, this is Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. It hasn't been mentioned enough. Oh, that's true. Remember, I never lose. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, He's cornered by the doctor. He gets away. Lorenzo suddenly shows up. Kaboom, boom, boom. He's chasing him in shootout all over. They crash right into this drug-making operation, um, which a fire starts. Then the doctor corners him again. Uh-huh. He has him dead to rights, but Carson talks him down, gets him to drop the gun, at which point he is promptly shot in the back by that sweet old lady from before. From- we, what's his Here's a great ADR line where he, you just hear someone yell, yeah, he got what he deserved. Because <laughs> they're like, that seemed harsh. That seemed harsh. This mentally ill old woman is now a murderer. They seemed like, well- Like, I get he's a bad guy. They seemed well cared for. It was not <laughs> they like- were all- <laughs> They were They had their meals. They were dressed. They were, It was not like a, a horrible insane asylum. But they are cheering. Yes. They, they are delighted. She- blasts him from 30 feet away with a shotgun and yeah. it just makes one small hole in his back in his back and carson who is like right on the other side like i could have gone through both of them no right? see brendan fraser's a tackling dummy he's, he's the template for all tackling dummies yeah uh we got what he deserved and then there's a big explosion the meth lab goes kaboom the fire which no one smelled that Yes. For several years. They are making no attempts to hide that at all. Like, what were the Breaking Bad guys doing out in the middle of the fucking oh desert? Oh, my God, guys. you're right. <laughs> no one saw that. Oh, my God. Also, let's get in a little bit about what this dumb fucking plan of theirs was at the nursing home, which is that, like, okay, so one of your nursing home patients dies. Yes. And then... We bury you, them on you property. You bury them on property, and then just keep charging their family and hope that no one ever shows up ever. And every time someone asks for them, you just go like, oh, she's not here right now. Like, how the hell long was that plan supposed to because last? Because the $160 a month that they were getting from that is so <laughs> worth 
<laughs> the multi-billion dollar meth operation going kaput. Here's an even better plan. Just run a real nursing home. Sure. Let's... People give you money. We're going to keep getting old. Right? Like, it's not like, oh, my God, we lost one of our people. We have to shut down because no one's ever going to get old anymore. Yeah. Ch- like, oh, when they die, actually just don't don't be so greedy. <laughs> Chalk it up. Call it a loss leader. And be like, you know what? Our, our extensive gambling and drug running operations, that's enough yeah. to sustain us, you know? Like, what? Uh, it, this, that, the plan is so fucking stupid. The other thing we didn't say was that he got the doctor to admit he gave the bad drugs to Happy. He's right, the one who killed right. Happy. It, yes. According to this. But uh, if the police chief yes. shows up in the aftermath, and he is also fully satisfied mm-hmm. with this. He's like, okay. I'm good. Great. Like, are, whose pocket are you even in? I don't get the, like, what does this do for Doc? The guy who made you and could break you at any Well, moment. it's a private eye movie. We got to have a corrupt cop. Yes, exactly. Or, but not corrupt at the times we needed him to not be corrupt. Yeah. You know, yeah. Now cut back to Janie, who's at home. And if you want to talk about, this movie is telegraphing, 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 yes. telegraphing. You want to talk about a telegraphing. Janie is just standing outside and then out of nowhere goes, <coughs> <laughs> like nobody is gonna cough in a movie unless they are gravely ill yes that's not happening right so the, it's just a god he says it's all over and they dance this is a Travolta movie you gotta dance and I guess they have sex because he sleeps over the night um, she's he finds like, her she's so. lounging the next morning in a dress yeah. and heels just sitting like <laughs> with her legs <laughs> draped over her couch just relaxing in her heels yeah, watching over him as he wakes up. So he wakes up, he goes into the bathroom, and of course he finds her cancer medication. She admits that she's dying, and she admits she was behind the murder of Happy. So did they both murder Happy? I don't know. How did she get Happy to take her cancer medicine? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But he also got tainted speed. Right. So And a broken femur. Everybody happy had a hot. Happy. <laughs> that was not rough day. That was a happy. bad game. That was a bad game. <laughs> That's not one of your best. Happy draft stock slipping. <laughs> as happy as murdered several times. Ella Blue day. delivers the best line of the movie. <laughs> Did you kill my husband, Mama? <laughs> <laughs> Mama, Mama, and that's. Pretty much your movie. Carson just narrates some nonsense off. about a hippie comet. Yeah. That was going to cleanse the earth, but what? missed the earth. They're throwing flowers on Barbara Van Poole's grave. Like, yeah. who was she to them? I know she met her at that place, but so? And he says the final line, which is, I wasn't in a hurry to go home. Then I realized I already was, which that's poorly written. And he just goes into the house, and that's your movie. Boom. That's your movie. For what it is. <laughs> if you want to call it that. That's it. Quirky, any final thoughts before we give our ratings and cast this movie to the land of wind and shadows? As we were talking about, I was really trying to make sense of why Poison Rose. And I was thinking mm. that maybe there's a Snow White allegory like the Poison Apple because you had mm. Doc. You had Happy. <laughs> you had, oh, my God. You had Dopey uh, and Femi was Brendan Fraser. Um, I don't know. I think that's about as far as I got. Uh, no, no. Incredibly poorly named. Yeah. Eye for an eye is no better. Nope. Because how does that, what? We Who's could just, eye for what eye? We could just throw random words together in a generator and it would be just as apropos as Poison Rose and Eye for an Eye. True. So, Quirky, let's remind everybody about our ratings. Run-of-the-mill bad film, Dare, Next Level Bad, Double Dare and a movie we actually kind of like reverse dare. What do you give the Poison Rose? I'm I'm declaring this the worst Travel Timber movie we've seen. Woo! But oh. it's just nothing. It 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 is an air sandwich. It's with 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 invisible bread. It's nothing. <laughs> um it's a pastiche of just hard-boiled noir cliches. Uh nobody gives a fuck. Or I mean Brendan Fraser's making these weird, weird choices. Oh boy. But still not even like I can't even enjoy him like Nick Cage and Deadfall. No. No, no, no. It's absolutely cringe-inducing and, and terrible. Um, yeah, bad, bad movie. Double dare. Fair enough. I mean, I th- I don't think it's as bad as Gotti, 
I mean, th- oh. this movie, it, it moves at least. No, I, I was kind of right. surprised. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Gotti, it, it's like you're trapped in a, a world where time just stops moving, right? Yeah. Like you just feel absolutely benumbed and, and trapped, like you're in some kind of a, a horrible, uh, you know, dead zone. Um, this one actually kind of moved, maybe just because there's so much. He goes here, 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 he goes here. But it, there's just, it's, it's fully empty. It's mm-hmm. full on empty and utterly, utterly pointless, and it's no fun at all. Certainly no. No. Fun. What'd you give it? Double, motherfucking dare. Yeah, all the way. Great call. It's not the worst of the Trouble Timbers because, of course, that's gaudy. Um, so I think we both are right that it's not yeah. as bad as gaudy and it's not as good as Chinatown. So I think there's a there's a it's little bit right of a, in there's that a little play, s- little sliver there of room <laughs> for this movie to, to sit in that spectrum. <laughs> That's all we have for you on this episode of Dare Daniel and the culmination of our third annual. Yeah, third annual. Third annual Trouble Timber. He'll keep making them. I know he'll give us uh, these straight to fucking steaming. Oh, boy. Steaming piles. More. More. Uh, Pile it on. But we'll be back in two weeks to give you another one of your movie dares. Until then, send your most sadistic or altruistic movie dares to us at daredaniel.com and be sure to follow Dare Daniel Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like and rate us on all of them podcast apps. It really does help. You can read more of my movie reviews on the Dare Daniel website at daredaniel.com. Corky, yeah. you never lose. I never lose. But after my lose. broken femur heels, you can catch me performing at Roses, uh, where I'll be singing the 1978 hits from the 2000s and beyond. Uh <laughs> And at the, what, Steaming Meadows? What was it? Steaming Acres? <laughs> Something. Meadows. Poison, me- poison Meadows. Uh, yeah, that's where I'll be. Catch me. Come come down to Galveston. Oil. Yeah, let's all go on down to Galveston. Sounds great. It's a beach town. It's a beach town. Yes. Yeah. Go swim in that. Great, view, great sw- view of the oil, Derek. Swim in that slick. <laughs> For Dear Daniel, I'm Daniel Barnes. And I'm Corky McDonald saying... It is Texas after all. (laughs) It's Chinatown. Bye. Bye.